You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. As the nation and economy continue to face the unprecedented challenge of COVID-19, many colleges and universities are delaying plans to begin the fall semester with in-person instruction, with several states now experiencing spikes in cases, particularly among young adults, school administrators are examining more cautious strategies to employ, such as online learning and canceling athletic events altogether. In this segment, Montgomery College President Darion Pollard talks about the challenges the community college system is facing and the ways community colleges can serve as an alternative to a four-year education. Let's listen. Welcome back. I'm Eugene Scott, a political reporter for The Fix and The Washington Post. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the path forward in higher education during the COVID-19 pandemic. My next guest is the president of Montgomery College here in Montgomery County, Maryland, Dr. Darian Pollard. And we wanna welcome you to Washington Post Live. Well, thank you so much, Eugene. I'm delighted to be here. Good, good. Well, we have a lot of questions we wanna get to you, uh, get your response to uh, for our viewers. And uh, hopefully you could just jump right in there. Um, and so number one, most classes at Montgomery College will be virtual, but some lessons will be taught in person. How are you deciding which classes will be in person and which ones will be primarily online? One of the things we decided early on when we saw the pandemic starting to rage in our community, uh, we made very deliberate steps to articulate to our students our commitment to them, both as students, but also as consumers. And as a result of that, we knew we needed to articulate to them early on what the issues were, and more importantly, provide them with effective pathways to navigate their academic uh, career. So as a result of that, uh, in March, we went to what we called a structured remote learning emergency where students were asked to and had to participate in the rest of their courses in a remote fashion. Uh, we did the same thing over the summer. And what we realized is that the majority of our classes, we offer approximately 3,000 sections of courses in the fall, over 150 different courses. But I will tell you is that there are just certain courses that you can't deliver in an online environment based on some external accreditation guidelines. So some of our programs in our biotechnology program, automotive technology, certainly in the health sciences, and a lot of our other science courses, there's a requirement for a lab experience. So we have about 5% of our classes that we will be delivering in uh, some form of a face-to-face -face where we're going to be having a series of health precautions there. Students will have the opportunity to come in on um, uh, different days of the week, not all the students in the class at one time. Uh, we're literally doing wayfinding in a building where students enter one way, they exit one way. Uh, they're required to have face coverings and masks. Uh, we have very deliberate hand washing routines and just very different strategies we're using to help students be safe, but also help our faculty and staff remain safe. Because if we bring students back, we also know that the faculty who teach them, who are committed, who want to be there to support their students, are also supported by staff who help keep the buildings clean, help keep themselves safe, support the laboratory experiences the students have, and most importantly, uh, help students meet the needs that they have as community college students. Uh, our students' lives are very complex. Uh, they require that at this moment, as I said, as you saw in the clip, that we rise up. And what I'm very proud of is that Montgomery College continues to demonstrate our ability to do that over and over and over again. 
you uh, read my mind because I was going to ask you about the safeguards uh, that you are putting in place to protect students and uh, professors and other people in the education field. But also you got into a bit about the importance of uh, Montgomery College and the relevance of its work right now. We know a lot has changed in the world of community colleges in the last few years with more people recognizing that, you know, a two year associate's degree is a viable road and option to getting a job versus a four year degree or perhaps combining them both. Uh, how has Montgomery College capitalized and taken advantage of this awareness? You, you know, Eugene, I, I love your, your question for a couple of reasons. One is that we know the community colleges were founded for this, this purpose right now. And what isn't a part of the broader higher education narrative is that 40% uh, of undergraduates in this country attend a community college. Uh, they do that because for many of our students, we are local choices for high quality, excellent education. Uh, we are in the community. I, I love listening to my colleagues talk about the value and richness of students who attend their institutions. And we talk about the fact that our students in community colleges, they actually come from the community. We are situated within there. We are anchor institutions in our community. So for many of our students, uh, the option of going away to school is not something they would do because many of them simply can't afford it. Uh, many of our students also have family dynamics that require them to stay local. Uh, but what we also forget is that we tend to serve also the working adult. The average age of our students continues to go up. So as a result of that, we know that we have to provide affordable, high quality education in the communities that we serve. And for many of our students, first generation college students, new immigrants to this uh, country, first, um, uh, first in their family to go to school. Uh, we know that many people of color find their way through and to higher education uh, through their community colleges. For us, it's a very deliberate act of community love. The fact that we exist here, that we provide not only uh, faculty who teach courses that rival what you may see at any uh, four-year institution across this nation, but we have staff and support services that meet students where they are. Uh, you know, I, I find myself uh, quite amazed as I think about some of the statistics that we look at as it relates to students during this recent pandemic. About 40% of our students reported having some form of food insecurity. Many of them have housing insecurity. Uh, we had just this past weekend a conference for single parents where we're doing it in this virtual environment because of the complexity of students' lives belie the dominant narrative that you see in higher education. Most students are not 18 years old going away where parents are going to be sending them care packages and visiting on weekends to go to the football game. Uh, most community college students and most students who are undergraduates in this country are not 18. Most of them are having very complex lives. Many of them are parenting, living in poverty, new, they're learning English while at the same time trying to capture their portion of the American dream. And what often happens, which I, why I so embrace uh, this question that you asked, is that the community colleges, we are uh, the community's response to that. Uh, if you want to see the how healthy and how well a community is, you look at the health and wellness of this community college. There's a mutuality, there's a symbiotic relationship there because we are indeed a reflection of the communities that we serve. Uh, speaking of the community you serve, uh, we know that across the nation uh, this summer, we have seen 
uh, conversations and uprisings and protests uh, related to issues of racism and uh, low views of diversity um, in this country. And, and we saw protests even in Montgomery County. And we know Montgomery College is one of the most diverse community colleges in the country. What are, what are some of the challenges that you feel like your students may be having right now in this moment? And, and how is the college responding to that? Well, Eugene, we are gloriously diverse, as I like to say. 75% of my students are students of color, and we have students from over 160 countries who choose to attend. In fact, the Chronicle of Higher Education named us as the most diverse community college in the continental United States. So we relish, we embrace, we lean into uh, this glorious diversity that we have because we know we're made better for that. But also in that space, you have to also have to recognize your role as being the, the truth teller, where you create space and intentionality for students, faculty, and staff to understand what this means. So we know that this country right now is beset as we're dealing with multiple pandemics. We're certainly dealing with COVID-19 and its effects on the health of our country and our nation, dare our globe. But I will also tell you, we're also fighting the pandemic of racism and white supremacy. And as a result of that, what you see happening right now is that one is magnifying the issues of the other. Uh, we certainly see, as uh, our president from Spelman talked about earlier, the tremendous adverse impact that we're seeing that COVID is having on black and brown communities. So as a community college, if I can, love my community. I don't get to ignore the fact that this is being adversely impacted. I don't get to ignore the fact that I have members of my community, students, faculty, and staff who need a place to problematize, to understand, to discuss, to work through issues and calls for social justice. And what I love about this is that, again, we're institutions that step into this space. Uh, we've created virtual dialogues for members of our college community. We've had hundreds, hundreds in a Zoom call having very intentional conversations about race. Uh, we've had very intentional uh, interactions and reading groups that have taken place. So we understand, we know this. This is the work we've been doing for some time. And as a result of that, I'd like to say that we specialize in trying to make sure that we create safe spaces for our communities to have these types of conversations, to be intentional though in crafting solutions. So one of the things we do is we work with our local community to create philanthropic opportunities to help support and create pathways for those who traditionally been underrepresented, not only in access to higher education, but in completion of higher education. Uh, we're very deliberate in trying to partner to create mentoring relationships, internships, job opportunities. All of these things are a part because we refuse to be the type of institution that puts out a statement and says, we support Black lives and Black lives matter, uh, but Black lives matter, have to, they have to matter inside the academy. Uh, they have to matter in our hiring. They have to matter when it comes to having conversations about social justice. Uh, black lives, brown lives, trans lives, all lives matter in a way that allows us to magnify this mission of intentional higher education locally based that is affordable, but more importantly, meeting the needs of the community that we serve. So yes, we're working through this, uh, but what I love about Montgomery College is that each and every day, we try to figure out what that looks like for us and how we can make the conversation richer, better, and deeper. Your comment about virtual dialogues and Zoom calls makes me think of an audience question that I wanna take some time to get to uh, from Alexis Holcomb, uh, who is in Virginia. Um, she asked, how are you supporting students who might have inadequate access to Wi-Fi? 
You know, um, Alexis, you must know community college students because not only do our students have oftentimes lack of access to Wi-Fi, they actually have lack of access to technology devices. Again, if we know the number one barrier to college completion is not the absence of education, it's actually poverty. So as a result of that, uh, we've done some things at Montgomery College, I think, that are pretty remar remarkable. Uh, before the CARES funding came out, uh, we, were, we gave away almost $900,000 between Montgomery College and Montgomery College Foundation, $900,000 to help students uh, secure technologies, pay rent, buy food, have personal care necessities that they needed. And then we've also, a lot of our students come on our campus while our buildings are closed and we practice social distancing. A number of our students come in and they sit in our parking lots and use the technology. In addition to that, uh, we've had some foundations uh, donate to us uh, opportunities for students to secure MiFi and other technologies. And we're looking at that very deliberately for this fall. Uh, we know that many of our students uh, don't have access to that. We had students actually completing whole papers on telephones and sending information and participating in classes as such. So we know for a fact that we have to partner. Uh, we've been very good with a number of our businesses in the community to help think about providing resources to students to do that. We also have partnered and worked deliberately with cable providers to help them uh, articulate and understand what the needs are within our community. And then we're also looking at ways to be able to say, hmm, how can we reduce the cost of these things by, again, if a student doesn't have to buy a textbook, perhaps they can invest in Wi-Fi or they're able to have access to other materials in their home. So we're using our resources and redirecting them. Uh, we live in a county that significantly believes in the power of education. So as a result of that, they're constantly asking us, how can they be of assistance and service? And that's one of the struggles that we're going to have to grapple with. Uh, we already had four to five degrees completely online. 6,000 students in the fall took online courses, but now 100% of our students had to do so in the spring and will do in the fall. So all 55,000 of them that we serve over the course of the year will have to be uh, activating their learning in an online environment. And this has to be one of the national issues that we have. We see this happening all across the country, rural areas, suburban areas, urban areas, where the digital divide continues to be the great divider in our country. Uh, something has to be done. I look forward to seeing some of our elected officials figure out ways to invest in that so that we can make sure that everyone has access to those resources that they need. I guess given that very point, do you see online education uh, becoming the new status quo. I mean, I know we see a lot of colleges, particularly four-year colleges, smaller colleges um, that are not as experienced as Montgomery College has been with educating students online. Uh, is it possible that uh, higher education is moving in a direction that they won't uh, come back from even when the pandemic is over? You know, Eugene, that's a, a provocative question because I think it speaks to this issue of knowing mission and knowing your students. And I think a number of our students will continue to evolve. We've seen the online education space continue to evolve and institutions that hadn't already started that work, uh, to a certain extent, shame on you, because we saw this happening. Uh, online courses started a year ago, then, uh, excuse me, about a decade ago. Then you started seeing whole degrees online. You started seeing uh, whole universities being offered uh, completely online. So I do believe that we will be changed from this. 
Uh, the path forward certainly includes online education, but it also requires us to have online support services. And it also recognizes certain students will not learn well in this type of environment. They will need that hands-on face-to-face experience. So I think we're going to see uh, more often the rise of the hybrid institution where there will be students, particularly millennials and others who've grown up in this environment. I have a 13 year old. Uh, he thinks nothing about taking school completely in an online environment, actually uh, prefers it to a certain extent. Uh, this will be normative for them. It will be natural as part of their origin story. Uh, for many other students, this is not. This is a struggle for them. So they will prefer to have an environment where they're completely face to face. And then there are going to be others, maybe a Gen Xer like me and a few I was going to say, hmm, you know what, I need a little bit of both. And I think the institutions that will survive from this moment are going to be ones that make the investment in all of that. Uh, you look at the, uh, the retail that has survived. Many of them who are surviving are trying to embrace hybrid models where they're having face-to-face -face experiences, but also doing uh, high e-commerce. I think the same thing is going to be the case for us in higher education and particularly community colleges, again, where our students are very complex, their lives or their stories, uh, their work environments are different, and their time is going to be so tremendously impacted by uh, work and so forth. So I do believe that we're going to have to have more robust uh, online services and programs, certainly courses that speak to the needs of students. But I also think we want to make sure that we don't leave anyone behind and still have those face-to-face -face environments. I think our buildings will look different. Our services will look different. But at the end of the day, the institutions that will be going forward be those that do all of those things very well. I'm a little interested in what fall enrollment numbers look like. Are you seeing a spike in interest? Are people who would normally go to a more traditional four-year campus deciding, hey, I might as well go to a community college that offers similar programs? Are people uh, saying, hey, I, I will wait until after the pandemic uh, and then enroll in Montgomery College? What's, what's happening with that right now? You know, Eugene, what's very remarkable about this is a couple of things. If I, when we started this pandemic uh, readiness back in March, we put together a set of about 14 assumptions. And the one assumption that none of us, all in higher ed, if you look at every higher education uh, trade paper, they're all trying to figure out what fall is going to look like. What we knew is that it was going to look different and we needed to be agile and have a strategy going into it to be very deliberate. And again, talk to our students ahead of time and let them know. I, I struggle now when I read about the number of institutions that are letting students know this week that classes aren't going to start in a week or two. I, I, I struggle with the integrity of the institutions that do that. What I know for us is that if I look at summer enrollment, we were up 11% in enrollment uh, this summer. As I look at fall, we simply just don't know. So uh, we have a few, a little wager going on at the institution. I'm happy to be even with, uh, with our projections. Uh, there are some who believe we'll probably be either 10% down or 10% up based on the mobility. What I do know is just this morning while sitting here, I've had three different text messages from community members saying, hey, my kid was going to X university this fall. We realize that they're going to be taking online classes. Doesn't make any sense. And I respond back, wise decision. Lower division classes, freshman and sophomore, 
take them at your local community college for a fraction of the cost that you're going to pay without a teaching assistant, having a high quality faculty member who has been trained over the summer. They had over 700 faculty in training this summer to make sure they were prepared to do these types of courses uh, with the support services that we have. I think that's actually a sign of, of family genius that you would choose to do that. So I, I'm very hopeful about what this pretends for our enrollment, but I also recognize that some families will make a choice for a gap year. Some families may say that they're going to go and have to work because even for them, some families, the idea of paying a community college tuition may not be something they can even afford. So uh, I hope that maybe in a couple weeks, you'll come back and talk with me and I can tell you what this looks like for Montgomery College. Well, I hope so as well. It's been a pleasure talking to you uh, today and learning more about how Montgomery College is responding to this moment. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.